This is the first Sunday of Advent, and welcome to Oro Valley Catholic. During Advent, the liturgical season, the church invites us to consider prophecies from the Old Testament and the surprising way the prophecies are fulfilled in the incarnation of Jesus Christ at Christmas. And so the first reading is from Isaiah. And in that prophecy, Isaiah says that the Lord will judge between the nations and impose terms on many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Jesus, as we, you remember, is raised up on the Mount Calvary, and it is the moment of judgment on a sinful world. If this story is about judgment, why is it that in Christianity there are so many takes on the end of the world? I would like to suggest three stories about the end of the world, three ways of understanding it that I'd ask you to consider in Lexio Divina. The first is the Hollywood blockbuster action-adventure movie. You're probably aware that the end of the world's had a prominent place in American history. The idea of the rapture is first popularized by American religious figures, Increase and Cotton Mather, in the 17th century. The idea really comes out of English Puritanism, which is a very literalist, fundamentalist way of looking at scripture. And that others had picked up on it. So Joseph Smith began the Mormons as a fundamentalist cult that expected the end of the world. And it hasn't lost its allure, that kind of storytelling about uh, the end of the world. You might remember that in 2000, Tim LaHaye published the first of a series of books called Left Behind. I think there were about 16 books in the series and at least two movies, the first char uh, starring Kirk Cameron and the second starring Nicolas Cage. In that story, Nicolas Cage plays the daring airline pilot, uh, Rayford Steele. He's a man with a secret. He's happily married to his wife, but... She's become a Christian and given her life to Jesus. And she wants him to give his life to Jesus also. Sinner that he is, he has to run away. How does he run away? He gets on an airline with his mistress and heads for London. But he runs into his sweet daughter at the airport. And it's a moment of judgment in his life. He picked the wrong time to run away. Hi, Mom. Chloe, welcome home. So is everything set for Dad's surprise party? Uh, he got called into work. Can I buy you a coffee? I'm waiting for someone. Uh, My dad. Hi, sweetheart. Hey. Welcome aboard Pancom Flight 257 to London. Flight time today will be six hours and 30 minutes. I love you. Simply vanished. Yep, Rayford's airplane has a lot of empty seats on the way to London, and he's asking questions. Why? Well, we all know why. The rapture's happened. All the real believers have been taken to heaven, and sinners like Rayford are left here to face the music. You know, the problem with storytelling 
like the series Left Behind, is it encourages uh, Christians to think along lines that simply aren't true about God. The idea being is, if you really believe, at the end, you won't have to suffer. God's going to rapture you out of here uh, to be with him. It's a theme that runs through a lot of evangelical Christianity. Here's another example. Joel Osteen, if you really believe, God will give you wealth and health. Here's another way that it, it uh, impacts. Uh, if your prayers aren't answered, your wife is not healed from cancer, I guess you didn't really believe. Is that how prayer is? Is that your understanding of how God interacts in your life? When we Catholics talk about Scripture, we say that there are two senses to Scripture. There's the literal and the spiritual, and they're always overlapping because our world is a world with another world built right on top of it. And when we think about Christianity, it is in that sense that there's nature, there's supernature, that there is this world and there's God's world. There's the city of man and the city of God. In the story left behind, the richness of scripture is lost and reduced simply to a thrilling story. And at the end, they believe in salvation, but the purpose of scripture is to open our hearts and minds until how God sees the world. Metaphysics is a term that means beyond nature. Meta means beyond, physis, nature. And it is a term we Catholics have used forever to try to describe that a literal story like the story of Noah also has a spiritual meaning. Professor Dana Joya, who teaches at the University of Southern California, was poet laureate in California and used to be the head of the National Endowment for the Arts, is this devout Catholic man and a great poet. He was addressing the Dominicans at uh, the Dominican House of Study in Washington, D.C., which is across the street from Catholic University. Here is this great artist, this poet, describing for you how Catholics think about the literal and the spiritual meaning of life. We experience life in a mysterious double sense. There's a school of 17th century religious poetry which is called metaphysical, uh, uh, that which is on top of the physical world. But I would maintain that all Catholic poetry, even when it appears to be simplest, is metaphysical, uh, that we simultaneously experience those realms of existence that are visible and invisible, temporal and eternal, and indeed this great strength of the Catholic tradition is our belief in the coexistence and the continuity of the living and the dead, the past and the present. This, I think, is at the very center of the Catholic imagination. Uh, it's one of the reasons we have this long view. I mean, uh, you know, Catholics always have a 2,000-year perspective, at least as far back uh, to Caesar and Christ. So think about what Professor Joya said about these two worlds, uh, the spiritual and the literal, the literal and the spiritual. 
If you were to look at the story left behind on a literal term, uh, it's a weird story that God just yanks people out of cars and they go careening wildly through uh, populated areas. God yanks pilots off an airline, putting all these people's lives at risk. That's a weird view of God. But if you get to the spiritual sense, what it's teaching, it's even more odd that the idea that your Savior, Jesus Christ, who tells you to pick up your cross and follow him, would ask that of every Christian except the people who live at the end time. Because when Satan's closing in, turns out God's pulling the starting team off the field. And that leads me to the second version of this story of some people being left and others being taken. It's a movie idea that I want to sell to Hollywood. You ought to be very concerned. Here's the second way I think the story could be told. And it's in a book and a major motion picture that I'm proposing. And I've entitled it Crunch Time. I just thought of it yesterday. But in the story of Crunch Time, there is this great legendary coach who has put together a team across the ages that is supposed to take on Satan in a great football team. It's at the end of the game. The coach has mysteriously disappeared. What he's left is human beings to work it out with him and his spirit helping them. And so on the sidelines, Coach uh, Newt Rockney, assisted by uh, his great assistant coach, Vince Lombardi, is pulling together the team for one last desperate play. They're confident of victory. They just don't know how they're going to pull it off. Yeah, it's fourth and goal to goal. Two seconds left, and he gets everybody around him. He says to Francis Assisi, you're going to be center. Then he looks at his two great Carmelites, St. Therese of Lisieux, St. Therese of Avila, both great saints and doctors of the church. He puts them in as the polling guards. You got Thomas Aquinas at one tackle, Bonaventure at another tackle. Out on the end, not counting the number of players, but you're going to get St. Jane Francis de Chantel and Francis de Sales. In the backfield, he's put together Fulton Sheen, who's going to be canonized here in a couple weeks, and John Henry Newman. But he needs a running back, someone who can take it across the line. And then he looks at you, and he says, Are you ready? Because you're in the game, kid. This is your big moment. Well, you trot out on the field surrounded by these all-stars. Yeah, you're nervous. You'll line up, and here's the demonic defense breathing fire. It looks so harsh. It looks so desperate. St. Peter calls out, because he's the quarterback, of course, calls out the signals. He takes the snap. He turns. He fakes left. Those two Carmelites pull right. Why? Because Newt Rockney and Vince Lombardi are on the sideline. Of course it's going to be a sweep with polling cards. It's student body right. Notre Dame, Green Bay made their whole careers on this. St. Peter takes the ball like he's going to run, but a big defensive tackle named Beelzebul stops him in his tracks. At the last second, he laterals the ball off to you. You're following the blocking backs. Uh, Newman and Sheen behind those great polling guards. 
and you're stalled at the line. How do you get it across? It's at that moment you hear this calm, clear voice. The whole thing was a misdirection. The flanker, the sweetest, greatest flanker of all time, our blessed lady, is heading back to the left, completely unexpected by the defense. She's carrying the Christ child. She calls for the ball. Of course she can flip it to her. She ponders the ball, says a prayer, and through the power of grace, she's in the end zone. She calmly lays the football down on the turf because she's not showy. And she raises Jesus up because there at the end, he's right with you. I like how I tell the story. I think it's got a lot more to offer in terms of how we understand the literal and the spiritual meaning of uh, Jesus' prophecies about the end of time. Because it's God who wins the victory, won it on the cross. So the end credits roll. Your name's right up there with the rest of the saints. In the voiceover, you hear Sylvester Stallone. I was thinking about making this a boxing movie. But he says, there'll be no rematch because it's the end of the world. Evil is done. And the whole end of the movie is the Notre Dame and Boston College pep bands playing Holy God, We Praise Thy Name as the combined theology departments all gather together and finally agree on something. It is the end of the world after all, and it's my story. End credits. Although I have to tell you, I love my screenplay crunch time. I recognize that the strength of it is it has a place for me in the story because Jesus ends up the story that some will be taken, some will be left behind, reminding me that I need to be alert because he's going to call my name and I'm in the game. But there's still another way of thinking about this story. And it's a way that's poetic, where there's a literal, literal and a spiritual meaning. Dana Joya, the poet that we listen to, wrote a poem called The End of the World. I offer it for your consideration. The End of the World by Dana Joya. We're going, they said, to the end of the world, so they stopped the car where the river curled, and we scrambled down beneath the bridge on the gravel track of a narrow ridge. We tramped for miles on a wooded walk, where dog hobble grew on its twisted stalk. Then we stopped to rest on the pine needle floor while two ospreys watched from an oak by the shore. We came to a bend where the river grew wide and green mountains rose on the opposite side. My guides moved back. I stood alone as the current streaked over smooth, flat stone. Shelf by stone shelf the river fell, the water goose-tailed with eddying swell. Faster and louder the current dropped till it reached a cliff and the trail stopped. I stood at the edge where the mist ascended, my journey done where the world ended. I looked downstream, there was nothing but sky, the sound of the water and the water's reply. Now think about that poem from both a literal and a spiritual sensibility. Literally, he's taking a hike with some guides. He goes and sees a river. Nice, nice poem. It rhymed too. 
but the spiritual sense that the words have double meanings. And so the presence of water, and you think of baptism, a wood is a place where in our long tradition, like Dante's uh, Divine Comedy, the pilgrim walks, not clearly seeing uh, where you're going. And you have to scramble and tramp because it's not easy going. In the literal meaning of the poem, the hiker has guides. In the spiritual sense, we have guides. We have the saints. We have their example. And the poem ends at the end of a trail where literally humans can go no further. And what the hiker finds is this beautiful scene of a river, mist ascending, and limitless sky. St. Thomas Aquinas would say, it's the contemplation of beauty, the beatific vision, God himself. This has been a production of Oral Valley Catholic, the most popular Catholic podcast in some neighborhoods in Northwest Oral Valley and a couple of blocks over in Marana. If you would like to subscribe, just go to the parish website at St. Mark the Evangelist in Oral Valley or subscribe on your favorite podcast provider.